From the CQ Roll Call Newsroom in Washington, this is the Week Ahead Podcast, your nonpartisan news source for how Congress and the federal government shape the real world. Tensions between North Korea and the rest of the world have ratcheted up in recent days and weeks. Not only is the president threatening fire and fury, but the UN Security Council agreed on a tough package of additional sanctions to rein in North Korean dictator Kim Jong-un. Hello, I'm Randy Walerius, sitting in for Sean Zeller. My guest today is Rachel Oswald, CQ's foreign policy reporter. Welcome, Rachel. Hi, thank you for having me. Kim Jong-un's behavior appears to be one of the few things that can get Donald Trump and the UN Security Council into broad agreement. Although the president opted for bellicose language in the past few days while the UN opted for stiff sanctions. Rachel's detention with North Korea reached a new threshold, a point at which some kind of resolution is likely to be inevitable? Well, tension is definitely higher, but is there a likelihood of an imminent military engagement? I would say no. The signs of a, of a serious, uh, of a precursor to U.S. military action, we have not seen. Those would include an order for non-U.S. military personnel to evacuate South Korea, the redeployment of U.S. troops and ships in the Asia-Pacific. We just haven't seen those. So that is why there's a gulf between what experts are feeling about the tension and what the wider public and media is feeling, who are just kind of absorbing these unprecedented um, uh, rhetoric from an American president about North Korea. And what about the sanctions from the U.N.? These do seem like they're extraordinarily stiff. Are they likely to bring North Korea to change its behavior? Well, they're certainly tougher than any other sanctions passed by the Security Council before, but everything will depend on how they're implemented, particularly by China and to a lesser extent Russia. The sanctions would prohibit a number of exports from North Korea that it relies on. It would cap... Uh, at current levels, the number of foreign workers from North Korea that countries are able to continue to employ. But it would critically not touch oil imports to North Korea that the regime relies on. So this could hurt. It could hurt cost North Korea up to a billion dollars. But that's only if they're fully implemented by China and and Russia. Just before lawmakers headed off for their summer recess, Congress passed and President Trump signed a sanctions bill. The Russian component of that bill, of course, got most of the attention, but the legislation also covered North Korea. Can you tell us what the bill did regarding North Korea? Did it toughen sanctions? How so? And did uh, the North Korean component of that prompt Trump to utter his criticisms even as he signed the bill? Right. Well, firstly, to the second point, President Trump's signing statement, where he objected to a number of bill provisions, actually didn't include any objections on North Korea. So it looks like those parts of the bill will be implemented, but how strictly and rigorously remains to be seen. The bill specifically imposes a number of mandatory sanctions, including on anyone purchasing North Korean coal and iron above limits set by the Security Council. It imposes sanctions on foreign actors that facilitate North Korea's shipping sector. Uh, North Korea shipping is the main way it evades foreign sanctions. And it also makes it illegal for uh, U.S. financial companies to do business with what are known as correspondent accounts that the North Korean regime use to cloak its financial activity. 
uh, back to the president's bellicose language and the UN approach, as well as the congressional approach that you just described, Trump isn't exactly a president who promotes the idea of working through the UN to get things done. But is the U.S. effort in the U.N. over North Korea an exception to his rule? Is it the least bad choice or is there something else? I would say that that it's it's Trump is part of a longer tradition of U.S. presidents going to the Security Council to try to get sanctions in addition to having uh, unilateral sanctions on North Korea. In this case, he is part of a tradition. He's of working through the Security Council because of the consensus view that sanctions are strongest when they are from the Security Council rather than one country. Mm-hmm. Uh, you've already talked about the sanctions uh, bill that Congress passed before it went on recess, but I want to sort of drill down a little bit into what Congress is doing. Is our lawmakers or are any specific lawmakers helping to steer this debate? Who and how? Well, House Foreign Affairs Chairman Ed Royce, Republican of California, has been for years a leader in developing uh, sanctions legislation. Uh, the recently passed sanctions on North Korea were mostly written by him. But as part of a deal worked out with the Senate, the House agreed to quickly take up a future Senate sanctions bill on North Korea. On that, the leaders are Cory Gardner, a Foreign Relations Committee member and subcommittee chairman for Asia Pacific, a Republican from Colorado. He has a number of provisions he would like to see in a sanctions bill, including um, requiring the Treasury Department to more decisively crack down on financial transactions that benefit um, North Korea when they go through a second party. Um, It's estimated that billions of dollars since 2009 have been routed through Chinese intermediaries to North Korea that use the U.S. financial system. So that's one thing that wants to be dealt with. Senator Chris Van Hollen, uh, Maryland Democrat, and Senator Patrick Toomey, Republican from Pennsylvania, have a bill that is modeled on Iran sanctions that would impose uh, heightening penalties on foreign banks that do business with North Korea. And Senator Chuck Schumer, minority, minority leader from New York, Democrat, he's called for Trump to actually order the Committee on Foreign Investment in the United States to suspend approval of all mergers and acquisitions by Chinese companies in the United States. Now, that, that would just that's just a call to the president. But it's, it's significant of where the Senate and to a lesser extent the House are coming from, where they really still think more pressure needs to be placed on China to crack down on North Korea rather than going to the diplomatic route. So it sounds like there is still room to tighten the trade screws and the financial screws on North Korea. You mentioned, I think, a billion dollars in the context of the UN sanctions. Is there a lot more pain that uh, can be inflicted either by the United States or collectively through the UN? Well, theoretically, yes. North Korea has a much smaller economy than Iran. But at the same time, uh, many experts have told me that it's erroneous to say North Korea is the most sanctioned country in the world. It's not. Iran was under much tougher financial sanctions than North Korea. And of course, the protection that China gives to sanctions evaders makes implementing sanctions an iffy question. You mentioned Iran, and I just want to follow up on that. Does the tension over North Korea make the Iran nuclear deal look more acceptable, particularly to 
some pretty vehement critics in, in Congress. Are they watching what's going on in North Korea and sort of thinking that Iran deal negotiated by the previous president uh, was a pretty good one after all? I don't know if I would say they think it's now a pretty good deal, but I would certainly say there is a palpable sense of exhaustion on Capitol Hill on both sides of the aisle and a pretty strong sense that North Korea and to a lesser extent Russia are the chief security concerns that the U.S. government should be focused on. And while Iran is still a concern and their destabilizing activities in the Middle East are very concerning, trying to add the question of Iran's nuclear program back onto that mix is inadvisable at the moment. Keeping in mind that Iran's program at the time of the nuclear deal, while approaching high levels of concern about the amount of uranium they were able to enrich wasn't ever officially recognized by the international community as a nuclear weapons program, though they were entering a number of realms that had nuclear weapons applicable activities. What about defense spending? The Senate is taking up the defense authorization bill when it returns in September, and as well as the defense spending bill. Um, are either of these measures likely to include money that could be interpreted as being a response to what's going on to North Korea? Oh, I would say definitely and probably explicitly they will include um, language in the policy bills and the appropriations bills aimed at North Korea. We are have already seen that the policy bills um, being developed in the House and the Senate would go beyond the Trump administration's $9.2 billion request for missile defense. I would not be surprised to see language in those bills that speeds up the acquisition of weapon systems that are designed to take out intermediate range missile intercept missiles from North Korea. It's worth watching to see if a debate is revived on developing an ICBM interceptor that can be sea-based. That was something that the Obama administration canceled toward the beginning out of concerns about Russia's opposition to it. But considering the bad state of relations with Russia and North Korea's advancing ICBM program, that debate could definitely be revived. Does that rather suggest that members of Congress think this North Korea tension is going to last for a long time or some of those expenditures designed to address the next rogue nation that poses a, a threat with nuclear weapons? Well, the idea behind sea-based interceptors is that they can be moved around. So right now, the threat is North Korea. Is there another rogue nation that is developing nuclear weapons? No, not, not at present. Iran's program is under firm, firm caps and um, observation. But who knows in the future? Right. But any additional expenditure in the next fiscal year, of course, would presumably come too late to deal with the current North Korean tension. That's right. Missile defense is a very tricky area of weapons development. They have a very uneven testing track record. In fact, they're years and billions of dollars behind and over budget. So it takes a long time to get weapons ready for that. Well, we're going to be watching this uh, issue in the next uh, uh, weeks and months, and given the speed of things, possibly the next minutes and hours. Thank you, Rachel Oswald. Thanks for having me. She'll be covering this for CQ in Roll Call as things unfold. I'm Randy Willarius. Thank you for joining us. You can subscribe to this podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, and on NPR One.